Uh, tonight and tomorrow night, we have the incredible honor to have Josh Muse uh, ministering here. Um, it's been a few years, kind of there was that, what was it, a bad cold that went around, kind of shut things down. <laughs> um, but uh, you know what? It didn't stop Josh <laughs> and Kaleo. They did amazing things there. Uh, uh, and one of the things, I don't know, how many years have I known you? Was it 2015? I, yeah, I think it was when we met in Toronto, and um, God just really highlighted him, and I wanted to build a relationship, and um, went and talked to him, and have developed that, and many times now traveled to Mexico, and uh, ministered in his ministry, and he's been up here a couple of times. Um, he leads Kaleo International. I'll, get, I'll let him explain a little bit what that is. But let me just tell you, I've worked with a lot of ministries. I've worked alongside many, many uh, ministries that are very well-known, famous people, um, faithful people uh, from all over the world. And uh, many of them do impressive things. I just want to let you know that uh, these guys are on par, if not in uh ahead of any ministry I've ever worked with. And that's what so, they challenged me. The reason I keep going back to Mexico and, and working with these guys, because every time I'm like, how do they get so much done so quickly with really very little resources? Seriously, guys. Like just this year, they built a refugee center from dirt. I'd seen the land several times. It was dirt on a dirt, the end of a dirt road. <laughs> and now there's this massive complex with 300, almost 300 refugees being fed every day and being kept safe off the street. And he just, bam, pulled it off in, in just a few months. And every year the reports are just amazing. And so um, as he comes to minister and share, receive, this is a true apostle. He's um, been used by God to... to uh, bring transformation to, to, to many, many lives. And we really share a passion because we believe that missions and church go hand in hand. All right? A lot of missionaries are so focused on the mission. It's like church is just a, you know, it's an ATM machine where they go to get more money to do missions. <laughs> but uh, Kaleo has, has front ends the importance of church that Missions exist to build the church just as the church exists to support and send out missions. So would you welcome Josh? Thank you. I've got this little thing here. God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. In the Greek language, the strongest word for calling is the word kaleo. It is more than just a call. It is a summons by a king. That all the world will pay 
Passion is a movement of missionaries, ministries, and churches that have answered that call. We are a tribe with a passion to preach the gospel of the unreached, to go to the darkest places of our world, to love not our lives so much as to shrink from death, to feed the poor, to heal the sick, and to equip the body of Christ. individuals, communities, regions, and nations transformed by the love of Jesus. If you've never confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior, raise your hand. At Kaleo, we have heard the summons of our King, and we are willing to go no matter what the price. to be with you guys today it is our tonight it is so exciting just to get to be here and just want to thank you new day church thank you so much for for sending your pastor down for so many years i know now it's transition season but still he was your he's been your pastor many years thank you so much for sending him down um that you you have truly blessed us in more ways than i can count um you know the teams that have come down i think i Kathy, the team, Kathy's come down with teams, others uh, that have come down with teams, uh, thank you, thank you, we are just truly grateful, and just truly thankful for this, this partnership, uh, and this, this true kingdom connection with the New Day churches, and all that God is doing, and uh, my name is Josh, I'm the director of Kaleo International, and tonight, I just want to share, I feel like the Lord wants to impart something but I feel like more than just imparting a teaching, I believe the Lord wants to impart a, a hunger to know him in a deeper way. And that's not something I can impart to you. That's something he has to impart to you. But I just feel like there's some things I need to share with you tonight over the next few days, some things I need to share um, with you to, to stir you up to a righteous jealousy and a hunger for the Holy Spirit that causes you to press in to Him in a greater and deeper way. I'm nobody special. None of us are anybody special. But we serve a King who is so incredible, who is so glorious, that He is worth giving everything we have to follow after Him. So I want to share with you one of my favorite passages of Scripture. It's Isaiah chapter 6. And... If, some of you, if you've been around me more than five minutes, you've probably heard me share about this passage. But I want to share with you tonight, and then I, I believe the Lord wants to do some things. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 through 10. It says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two wings they covered their feet, and with two wings they flew. And they were calling out to one another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorpost and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. 
Then flew one of the seraphim unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off of the altar. And he touched it to my lips, and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your sin is taken away, and your guilt is atoned for. It says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord, saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, Lord, send me. And oftentimes we stop there, but I feel like we need to keep going a little bit. He said, Tell the people this. Tell them that, make the people, their their hearts are calloused and their eyes are dull. Otherwise, they could see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. So in this passage, we see the, the call of God for Isaiah's life and the message of the Lord that the Lord wanted to release to Israel, but also what he wants to release to us today. And there's some things we can learn from this encounter um, and the things that God has taught me. I've I've dug into this passage for for years now, and it's one of the passages that God really used in my life to call me deeper. Um, When I I was called by God at nine years old, I heard the voice of the Lord. I grew up in a in a very conservative church that didn't teach on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Actually, they actively taught against it, but they were good people. They loved the Lord, uh, and they, 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 I tr- it was a wonderful place to learn the Word of God, but it was also a place where there was no, faith was not taught from the pulpit. The Word was taught, which is powerful, which is always good. The Word never returns void. But I want to tell you, it was not an atmosphere of faith and fire and power. But in the middle of that, I was nine years old, and I was sitting in a Sunday school class, and there were missionaries from West Africa sharing, who are Bible translators, sharing about unreached people groups that had never heard the gospel before. Unengaged, unreached people groups that had no scripture in their language. The name of Jesus had never been known. There were no churches among these people groups. And these were Bible translators. And I found out later that they were secret charismatics. That they were like undercover charismatics. And I don't know how they managed to like stay in that particular organization so long but they were undercover charismatics and they were sharing about this about unreached people groups unreached tribes and i remember sitting there nine years old thinking someone needs to do something about that someone should do something and 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 i want to tell you when you begin to think things like someone should do something about such and such problem such a problem such and such situation when you begin to think someone should do something about all of a sudden, you begin to recognize that maybe that may be the Lord calling you. So I said, someone should do something about that. And I heard the voice of the Lord. And I never heard his voice before. It didn't come from a church that believed that you actively could hear his voice in this day and age, in this particular dispensation. I heard the voice of the Lord. And he said, I'm going to send you. You're going to be a missionary. You're going to go around the world. You're going to take the gospel to unreached tribes. And I sat there stunned. I, I I was shocked no one else heard it. And I sat there just stunned, and I just said, I'll go. I'll go. Wherever you say to go, I'll go. And I, I want to tell you, that that's the kind of faith that I believe God is calling each of us to have, that faith of a child that says, I don't understand it. I have no idea what it's going to look like, but Lord, I, I'll go. I'll go. And But out of this, in order to really receive and step into your call, first you have to step into a place of encounter. So you look at Isaiah's life, you see that Isaiah was being brought into a place of encounter with God. He, brought, he was brought into this place, this heavenly realm, and it was, in the, it was interesting because it says in the year that King Uzziah died, Uzziah was a good king, 
whose story ended badly. And actually, uh, most of the scholars, I, I wrote a book earlier this year, and uh, a lot of it was on this particular passage. And most of the scholars that I've read actually believe that I, Uzziah and Isaiah were relatives. They were probably like cousins. So not only were they, um, were, was he, uh, Uzziah the king for Isaiah, they were probably related in some way. So it was a very profound marker uh, in Isaiah's life. This was the year that a, a good king had ended, ended, ended poorly. I, Uzziah's reign didn't end well. And you see that Isaiah marks that, and in that middle of that season of transition, in the year that a king died, and there's always turmoil anytime there's transition. Have you noticed? Anytime there's transition, every four years in the United States, my goodness, we, we, have, we have a special knack for every four years turmoil. It's, just, it's craziness. Every election cycle, Americans, yeah, it's really all over the world, but Americans, are, are, we're really good at it. <laughs> and every four years, there's transition, there's chaos. Every, you know, half the country thinks that the Antichrist has just been elected, no matter which party gets in, you know. And every few years, every time there's a transition, people don't know what to do with it. But in the midst of transition, in the midst of chaos, oftentimes that is when the Lord desires to bring in encounter and encounter us with his power and with his glory. Pay attention to the times of, of seeming chaos around you. Pay attention even in your, our country. I love America. I'm from America. I've lived years outside of this country. But I love our country. And I want to tell you, we as Americans, as believers here, we need to not sh shrink away from the chaos that, is, that oftentimes is seemingly in um, <laughs> I preach in Spanish a lot more than I preach in English nowadays. <laughs> The, 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 the chaos that is encircling sometimes this nation. And we need to press into the presence of God and say, God, what are you doing? What are you desiring? How are you desiring to encounter us in the midst of the storm of the kings, the little kings around us, the little kings that rule our countries and nations and regions? How is the Lord, what is the Lord doing in the midst of that? We have to learn to look beyond what we can see. And see the king and see how he is moving in the middle of it. Now Isaiah saw the king sitting above everything else. Sitting on a throne. We need to learn to look and see Jesus above everything else. I want to tell you, if you will allow the Holy Spirit to shift your perspective from the things of this earth to the things of heaven, it will change and drastically affect the impact that you can have here on this earth. Here and now, today. Where we are focused on is what we begin to be transformed into the image of. If we're focused on the chaos of this world, chaos will come into our hearts. But if we focus on the king who is sitting above it all, who is on a throne, and we recognize the glory that is surrounding him, and we press deeper into that place, press deeper into that place of his glory and into his fire, that atmosphere, that Glory begins to rub off on us and begins to change us in incredible ways. And so Isaiah looked and he saw the Lord on the throne. And we have to recognize first and foremost that Jesus is our king. Following Jesus, doing whatever he says is so much easier when you recognize that he's your king above all else. If you read the parables of Jesus, Jesus made this so clear that Jesus, that he is the king and we are not. And when oftentimes the, the, the challenge I've seen in terms of people wanting to serve God, but not being willing to 
quite give everything, not being willing to completely surrender all, oftentimes the challenge really is a, 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 an understanding of who is king. Because if you're still on the throne of your own heart, if self is still on the throne above all else, then the words of Jesus about leave it all behind and come follow me, well, that sounds a little bit, that's a little too much, you know? Jesus is only your, your friend or, you know, the, the bride, of, if we're only the bride of Christ and we forget, of, forget that he is king first and foremost, I think that's a huge challenge that we face. We forget he's king. We know we preach Jesus so long as best friend and the, 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 the bridegroom of the church that we oftentimes forget a huge aspect of his nature, a huge aspect of his identity is that he is above everything else. He is king. And if we ever lose perspective of the king on the throne, we lose perspective, we lose the perspective of what he is calling us and what, is he, what he is asking us to do. So as we focus in on Jesus, that begins to change how we look at the situations around us and how we look at the storms in our life. Whew. Mm. So when God called me, I was, I was nine, and I told him I would follow him. I said I would go wherever he was asking me to go. And I just want to share stories. I want to share some of what the Lord is doing. I always kind of weave it in here. Um, and the Lord, again, spoke to me when I was, when I was 16. And he told me um, that there was a, a team from our church. I knew there was a team from our church going to Kenya, West, East Africa. And he said, I want you to go with that team. And I said, okay. Lord, if you say it, I'll do it. Went to my parents and said, the Lord says I'm supposed to go on this particular outreach. They didn't, it didn't go over well. Uh, <laughs> I mean, my parents are wonderful, godly people. They love the Lord, but they, they hardly ever, they hardly ever uh, travel outside of the state. Uh, that we, I grew up on a ranch. When you have a ranch, that's all you do. So family vacations, we're working at the ranch. Fam, you know, uh, that's, that's how it is. If you have a ranch and you have cattle, you don't really leave. And so my parents were like, well, you know, maybe when you get older, go for it. And I said, no, the Lord has spoken. And that, that, they were a little unsure how to handle that, so they, they threw me over to the pastor. They said, go talk to the pastor. This pastor was a man of God. He's gone to be with the Lord now, but, uh, but he was a seminary professor from a very prominent cessationist university. And I went to meet with him. I said, the Lord spoke to me and said, I have to go. And he's just standing there. He doesn't want to quench the fire, but at the same time, he knows what, what he believes and so he says, well, you're not old enough. If one of your parents will go, then you can go. Problem solved, I thought. I went to my family. I've always been pretty direct. And I went to my mom and dad. I said, listen, one of you has to go with me. That's what the pastor said. <laughs> the man of God has spoken. That also did not go over well. But I just began to pray. I said, Lord, what do you, you know, whatever you want to do. A few days later, I get in the car and my mother was picking me up from someplace, and she looks at me, and she doesn't even say hello. She just says, what have you been praying? And my mother is the sweetest southern lady you'll ever meet. It's, everyone is, is sugar and honey, and she's so nice. And that, What have you been praying? That's just how she started the conversation. So I've been praying that God would give a dream or a vision to show clearly where we need to go, that I need to go to Africa, and that he would confirm. She sits back, and she pale as can be. And she said, I had a dream. She said, in the dream, I was on our farm, and these three tornadoes came and were destroying everything around us, and everything was being sucked up by these enormous tornadoes. And she said, I stood up in the dream, and I cried out and said, God, 
are you saying I need to go to Africa? I'll go. And suddenly everything stopped. And the storm was, was gone. Everything was restored. So she wakes up out of that dream. She grabs my dad and says, I have to go to Africa. <laughs> he was like, what? And she tells him the dream. And my dad, he, he's there, my dad is such a man of faith. But he, he, he looked at her and he said, well, I don't want to be the obstacle that God has to remove by a tornado. So go for it. <laughs> So I went, and for the first time ever, I met believers that, that, that carried the fire. It was so funny because we were working with a, a, you know, we were being sent by a very conservative church, but we were working with the, with the, with the Deliverance Church Network of, in, in Kenya. So I was like uber Pentecostal, fiery people. They're casually talking about miracles, and this one lady is talking about raising the dead and these things that had happened. And I'm sitting there going... Never heard anything like it. But something was being stirred up inside of me. And I knew that I'm like, this is what I want. I don't know what this is, but I know this is what I want. This is the type of relationship with Jesus I want. I want to carry that fire. I don't know what it means, but I want it. Heard missionaries that had been missionaries in South Sudan from Kenya, and they were sharing stories about in South Sudan, it was Sudan at the time. They were, it was just complete war zone. They'd been, they were bombing and destruction there was a genocide um, that the northern tribes or the northern uh, government was was trying to wipe out the southern christian tribes and they weren't really christian mostly idol worshipers and animistic but they were trying to wipe the wipe the southern tribes out to take over their land and these people uh, these missionaries were sharing about this horrible things that were happening bombings and killings and beheadings and in my heart i just said lord I want to go there. Can I go? And, and I want to tell you, before you start judging me, I, I don't have a death wish. I don't just love dangerous places. But I've learned something over the years. Anytime I see a place of crisis, whether that be in my community uh, or in my country or outside of my country, I've learned something that I've done ever since I, I, God called me, and that is just simply to volunteer and say, God, I'll go. If you want to send me to this place, this particular place, I'll go. And I never really thought to put it into words until really a little bit earlier this year. But every single war, every single crisis that's happened over the past 10 or 15 years that God's allowed me to be in ministry, I volunteered. I said, Lord, if you want me to go, I'll go. And most of the time he says no. He told me no for Ukraine. I volunteered. I called Dan Slade. I said, give me some context. I'll go. He told me, and the Lord told me no on that. But sometimes he said, yes, I've been able to go into places that were complete war zones in Central Asia and the Horn of Africa, South Sudan and Sudan, and seen the power of God just poured out in, zone, in just complete combat zones and seeing God move and churches being planted in the midst of just the craziest of situations and turmoil. But I learned something, and that is simply when you see a crisis, whether that be a world crisis or a local crisis, just raise up your hand and say, Lord, I, I want to be part of this. I want to be part of the solution. And if you'll send me, if you'll use me, I want to go. And there in Kenya, it was the first time I really had ever done that. And I said, Lord, if you'll use me, I want to go. If you'll send me, I'll go to South Sudan. And the Lord spoke to me and said, I will send you. So after high school, I ended up, found some people that were going, a mission organization that would let me go with them. And I ended up in a place, in a village where there were no churches in a region where there were no, almost no churches. They were planting churches. And we came to this one place, and this woman was dying of meningitis. 
Uh, the village was, they were not welcoming at all. They were very skeptical about what we were doing, very suspicious. People from another religion uh, controlled the rebel group in that area. They did not want us there. Um, we had permission from the government, but they were very suspicious about our motives, and they were threatening us and everything like that. But somehow I ended up in the house of a drunk soldier who one of his wives was dying. And so he invited me to his house, prayed, went and prayed for his wife. I thought, I thought she was dead because she was barely breathing, eyes glassed over. Went and laid my hand on her and just began to pray for her. I didn't know what to pray. I'd never been taught about healing prayer. I'd never, no one ever taught me about laying on the hands of the sick. Didn't know anything about I knew in the Bible. I'd read the Bible, so I knew somewhere it said something about that. And so I like somewhere Jesus said, lay hands on the sick. So I laid hands. And I, but I'm like, what, what do I pray? What do I say? I didn't know. And so I just laid hands, and all I could think about was the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And as I laid hands on her and just began to pray that, that prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Come, woman, death rattle sound in her throat, eyes glassed over, completely unresponsive, sits up and is staring me in the face. I don't know who was more scared, her or me. <laughs> I don't know who was more shocked. I almost passed out. That was, I mean, man, we're in the, a dark hut in the, in, there's no electricity, and we're there in a dark hut. We're pray, I'm praying for this lady. It all was on a whoomp. She's sitting up. We're staring each other in the face. She was surprised because she'd never seen a white person before. And I was surprised because I'd never seen a miracle before. So we were both equally surprised. And we're standing there, and she says in her language, through the interpreter that was there, she said, am I dead? Am I dead? She, I, think, I don't know if she thought I was a devil or an angel there to take her away. Who is this white devil that's come to take me? She didn't know. And, she, and she's like, what happened? And laid hand, I just told her, preached the gospel to her. No, so this is power of Jesus. Jesus healed you. She never heard of Jesus. And I said, Jesus healed you. She said, where is he? I want to thank him. When he comes back to my village, can you please tell him I want to meet with him and thank him when he's here? He wants to live inside of your heart. Gave her life to Christ. The soldier who is drunk out of his mind in the corner wakes up and looks, and there's his wife serving us and giving us food and taking care of things and sweeping the house and doing all those things. And he screams in Arabic, my wife's alive, and runs out. He got sober real fast and goes running out the door, and he's screaming in Arabic and in the local dialect, my wife's alive, my wife's alive. Come see, my wife's alive. And so people were coming, bringing their babies that had meningitis and and, and malaria and all sorts of different diseases. And we're just laying hands on these babies and pray, laying hands on people. And God is doing miracles. And I walked out of that going, this is how I want to live the rest of my life. I don't know what this looks like. I don't know where, I don't, I don't know if I could ever see this again or not, but I want this to be what defines the rest of my life. I want your power. A few short time later, I was in northern Uganda at a true revival that was happening in the northern part of the country uh, where the glory had fallen and one of the most, one of the darkest, at that time, one of the, the darkest um, regions of, of, well, was the darkest region of Uganda during a time called the LRA Wars. And there was a horrible rebel cult that was slaughtering um, thousands and thousands of people. And it was the Christians that rose up and drove them out. Um, and they didn't do it with weapons. They went with the Uganda military and tore down altars, tore down altars to their, the demons of this, this particular uh, rebel group. 
and broke their power spiritually, and the rebels had to flee into the Congo. Uh, the, the Ugandan military, backed by the U.S., could not defeat this particular rebel group. But when the churches arose and revival broke out, they drove them out um, within a matter of just a few years. So it was a powerful revival that was going on. So that's where I went after, after this experience. And I'm saying, I, I'm looking for more. I'm hungry for more. And these guys, they were unashamedly charismatic. I've never been around unashamedly charismatic people. If I met a charismatic, they like spoke in tongues when all the doors were locked and they were sure nobody was listening to them. And maybe in a closet somewhere they would pray in tongues or like when things were really bad, they'd bust out another language. But I'd never met anybody that did that. I just knew, I knew people that later on told me they spoke in tongues, but no one ever showed me, demonstrated it for me. So I'm with these African brothers and they're on fire. They're preaching and it's, and, and people are being healed and miracles are happening and the glory is being poured out. But these guys would get up at five in the morning and start praying at like five in the morning in tongues. I didn't even know the day started that early. <laughs> and I would, I would try to get up with them. I'd be in the dormitory. I'm like, you mean a day has two five o'clocks? One in the evening and one in the morning? <laughs> but these guys up, up in the morning, Jesus, and they're praying and fiery glory is in the place. And I'm there going, oh my goodness. I'm just over there. I'm praying for everything I could think of and running out of things. ADD kicks in. I'm pray- thinking about other things. And I asked him one day, I'm like, what do you have that I don't have? I've seen a few miracles, but you guys live this as a lifestyle. What do you have that I don't have? And one of them looks at me and he says, brother, you need the fire of the Holy Spirit of God. And I said, I have no idea what that is, but I want it. I want it. So they lay hands on me and I began to speak in tongues. I was so excited because I thought God had given me their tribal language. So for the next, next three or four days, I'm walking out to people on the street, thinking I was speaking a choli. Found out it didn't work that way. Sometimes it does. This particular time, it did not. And because of the revival, though, that a lot of people were believers. They go, raise God, brother. But I had to learn a little bit of how things go and how things work. We've seen it happen that way, however, where God will give us the language of the people. Um, it's happened multiple times in Hebrew and uh, several other languages where, where we've... Well, that's a story for another time. Come back tomorrow. Tomorrow night, yeah? Come back tomorrow night and we'll, I'll share some more stories like that. But as I began to press in, I said, God, I want more of this. I want to live in that place of your fire and of your glory. See, the, in Isaiah chapter 6, it says that the train of his robe filled the temple, his glory filled the temple. Literally, his glory fills any place where God is. His glory fills that place. And, and there are deeper levels of the glory that God calls us to go. You know how the scripture says we go from glory to glory. And that what that really means, I believe, is this, that the closer we step to Jesus, we go from one level of glory to another level of glory, because literally his glory is what surrounds him. And as we make the decision to press in deeper into that realm of his glory and to come closer to his fiery presence, that glory begins to change us. It begins to transform us. But it also does something else in us. It begins to stir up in us the things that need to change, the things that are holding us back. And this is what Isaiah, uh, this is what he did. He, he saw the glory of the Lord. He heard the, he heard the seraphim. The word seraphim means burning ones. 
It means burning ones, on fire beings. And you th think about being Isaiah or some of the other writers of the, of the Old Testament and the New Testament, trying to describe what they were seeing in visions. And there's this word seraphim, is, it's not the same word used for angel in, in a typical sense. It's, it was speaking about a burning being that Isaiah really could barely describe what it was. But he saw this burning beings, and the seraphim were the ones that were closest to the glory of the Lord, that guarded the glory and the presence of God. And he looks and he sees these burning beings, and they're worshiping the Lord. They have their faces covered. Why do they have their faces covered? So Isaiah won't get distracted by their glory. If we want to carry his fire and his glory, we need to learn to be humble. There's some things we can learn from the seraphim. They had their faces covered because they didn't want Isaiah to be distracted by their glory. Sometimes that's the opposite of what we do as human beings. We want our face on everything, put our face on there. Someone came up to me one time and handed me a business card. It said, their business card read, Apostle, Prophet, Pastor, Reverend, Bishop, I think it was Archbishop, Archbishop, this and that, and it goes through literally all, all the fivefold and more. And I'm reading it going, wow, all of you in one person. That's incredible. We've met the fourth member of the Trinity. This is, this, I'm in the presence of royalty here. And it was laughable because it was so, it was just, it was so crazy. But if we think about it, we all have that tendency within us where we want to stand in the front. We want to, we want to be somebody. I want to tell you, if we will just simply learn to cover our faces and just not care, just not care whether anyone remembers our name, whether anyone remembers that we were the ones that prayed for them, whether anyone remembers what we are contribution to a certain thing. I'm going to tell you, there is no limit to the way in which God can use a person who's willing to cover their faces and say, God, I want you to get all the glory. I want you to get all the glory. I've met, you know, in the, in the church in the West and in the, the places that are open we throw the words like apostle or, or thrown around, and we believe in that office. We believe in it. But I want to tell you, I've met people that I know are true, true apostles, and they've got scars on their body from being stoned. Yeah. They've got, they've got, they were, many of them were tortured for their faith. I know many, many apostles and prophets, and many of them suffered greatly for the name of Jesus. And many of them, some of them don't even have a high school education, right. but have planted hundreds, if not thousands, of churches. I had a privilege one time of speaking um, at a conference in, in California, and uh, I was speaking, as I was speaking at this conference, they were telling me about some of the other speakers, and they said, oh, and you're going to follow after Zhang Rong Liang. And if you know anything about the house church movement in China, um, Zhang Rong Liang is the head of the largest network of churches in China. He's one of the, uh, he's a public figure now, so people know his name, but he, I think there are I forget how many millions of people are in his house church network. And they told me, they're like, yeah, you're going to go first. Then Brother Zhang Rong Liang is going to speak. I'm like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. I, no, he was going first. Then I was speaking. I, I have to follow after the, the head of a house church network of a million people. I want to tell you, sometimes we get around people. We get around people that, that have been imprisoned for so many years of their life, have suffered greatly for the gospel. I don't want to tell you, they're some of the most precious, humble people. Zhang Rong, I had a meal with him. Humble, precious, precious saint. Served in the Middle East. Served, I've served in places. And I've been 
face to face with people that no one will ever know about, but are some of the ones that are truly shifting cultures and changing everything. And the common theme I've found among the people that God is really using to change and shift nations is that they are some of the most humble people you'll ever meet. That is how it works. When we carry his glory, the closer we get to the fire, the more humble we should become. The seraphim spent more time around the king than anyone else. And they were the most humble. Even though they were glorious and they were literally burning on fire, holy beings, they covered their faces because they wanted Isaiah to focus on the one who was the one. Two wings, they flew. I believe that talks about the need to be mobile, to be moved by the Holy Spirit, moved by God whenever he would speak. They weren't just sitting there. They weren't reclining. They weren't laying down. They weren't standing. They were flying constantly, waiting for the moment that the king would give them an order. Two wings, they covered their feet. Talks about holiness. We need to walk and live holy. Holiness is not just do this or don't do this and don't do this and don't do this. It's not lists. Holiness is being covered with the blood of Jesus and allowing the blood of Jesus to change us from the inside out. That's how you carry the glory. That's how you live in the realm of the glory. Be willing to be moved whenever the Holy Spirit will speak. Be willing to be humble and cover your face. Be willing to allow the blood of Jesus and the fire of the Holy Spirit to burn out of you whatever needs to be burned out. I want to tell you, every time I get into prayer, every time I get close to Jesus, I feel both the incredible joy of his presence, but also that burning fire that's burning out attitudes and burning out things in me that need to change. And that's what it means to get close and step close to his holy fire. So as Isaiah steps into that place and he sees the seraphim and he sees the fire and he sees the glory of the Lord, sees the Lord on the throne, he cries out and he says, woe is me for I am undone. I love the Spanish translation of this best. Because I believe it captures the essence of what Isaiah was saying. He says, Ay de mí porque yo soy muerto. Woe is me for I am a dead man. I think that defines really the encounter Isaiah had and also defines the encounter that God is leading each and every one of us to have with his, with his glory and with his fire. I want to say, if you want to truly live, you need to die. You need to die. Die to self. Die to selfishness. Die to what you think your life should be. All your rights. Die to those things. And I want to tell you, you step into a joyous freedom of death to self and life in Christ. People oftentimes think that, oh, that that must be horrible, dying to yourself, giving those things. The thing is, Jesus only asks us to give up those things which we can't keep anyway. It's a great exchange. The gospel is a great exchange. We give to him everything which is actually quite useless for us. And he gives to us the very life of God dwelling inside of us. So that glory, that presence of the Lord, it so impacted Isaiah that he cried out and he says, I am a dead man. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I want to tell you, God is calling us to a place where that fire of God begins to kill things within us that need to die. My first encounter with the renewal was uh, in Abilene, Texas. 
Someone invited me to a revival that a man named Randy Clark was speaking at. Actually, they, they told me Bill Johnson was going to be there. And I'd read a book by Bill Johnson. I liked the book. So they told me Bill Johnson's going to be there. I get there and I find out it's Randy Clark. It's only Randy. Just Randy. And so I get there and it was at a Baptist church in Abilene, Texas. So I'm, at that point, I'm a pretty good Baptist gospel. And so I'm like, I spoke in tongues, but I didn't get into the weird stuff, you know? And so I go to this Baptist church. I thought, okay, this sounds pretty safe. Show up, and it was not what I was expecting, to put it lightly. Show up in this meeting. Randy's getting up to speak. There are people rolling, laughing, shaking, running, people with flags, people talking about gold dust. And I'm standing there going, people are shaking like this. And I'm going, oh, my goodness. I'm there with my whole line of people that had come from the Baptist University that I was at at the time. And we're all standing there, sitting there at the back. We're all looking around, eyes huge, and people are shaking and rolling. I'm going, oh, my goodness. I've never, I've never seen anything like this. I was quite judgmental, actually, to it. And as I'm contemplating my exit, Randy gets up and begins to speak. And, you know, Randy's the, this, the, the calmest sort of speaker doesn't jump around, doesn't shout or anything, just up there, hand in his pocket. He's talking about the glory, talking about the anointing. And people are shaking, and he says, if any of you are manifesting the glory of the Lord, you just need to come up here to the front. And about that time, my hand, I look down, my hand starts to shake like that, <laughs> completely against my will. You know the people that say, oh, God will never do anything to you that yet you don't want him? That has not been my experience. <laughs> completely against my will, my hand is shaking. And I had, I'll admit, I had, to my shame, I had judged the people and I had said, These, this must be demons. Because I've only ever seen demons cause people to shake in manifestations. And we've done deliverance on many people. And I thought maybe it was something like that. And I thought maybe these are demonized people. And then all of a sudden, I'm one of them. <laughs> and my hand is shaking. And then the other hand shaking. And the, I've got a whole line of people that had come to me with me for the college. They're all looking at me like, what it was happening and I'm there I couldn't I'm like I can't stop it and Randy's saying if you're manifesting the power of God come to the front and I'm standing there going Lord what are you doing and he said I want to shake you because you are hard you are dry and you are religious and I want to shake the religiosity right out of you and I'm standing there in that place of, of glory and fire and anointing and a renewal and revival and I'm shaking and all I could think was you're right. I'm hard. I'm dry. I'm religious. I'm not an easy person to get along with. At that time, I definitely was not. But as an easy person to get along with, I knew the word. I knew how to obey God. But I didn't know very well how to love people. And I want to tell you, it shook me to my core. And it felt like God grabbed a hold of me and shook me and shook something out of me that needed to die in that moment. And there I am standing at the back of the church. You know, the humor of the Lord is, is awesome because I thought I was going to be in the back so that I could stay away from all the wild stuff. And then, I'm at, and then I have to go and crawl down to the altar, and I'm crawling down to the altar, and I had an encounter with God where he just ripped, those religio ripped the religiosity right out of me, shook it out of me. We need encounters with God that lead us to the place to cry out what Isaiah cried and said, I'm a dead man. Or we recognize it and we say, I'm dead to what I thought my life should look like, what I thought my life would look like. 
and allow him to shake the religiosity, to shake the hardness out of it. I want to tell you, a lot of times we make the mistake and as charismatic believers, we think about religiosity and we think that, oh, that means other people. I want to tell you, religiosity really happens whenever you get stagnant. Whenever you get comfortable, all of a sudden the concrete begins to set. And you suddenly find yourself more stuck in your ways than you were before. And the Holy Spirit can't use people, doesn't want to use people that are stuck in their ways. He wants to use people that are moldable, that are like clay that can be used in the potter's hands. Those are the type of people he's wanting to, to move upon and use to change the world. Don't allow yourself to ever get stuck. Sometimes you need the Holy Spirit in his amazing, loving way to grab a hold of you and shake it out of you. That's, that is what he does. We've seen him do it so, so many times in incredible ways. And after that night, I knew something had changed in me. So Isaiah, he cries out to the Lord. He says, he says, I'm a dead man. And the angel, he said, my, for my lips are unclean. He said, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And one of the angels flew to him with the coal that he'd taken from off the, with the tongs from off of the altar. And he touched his lips. The very area that had held him back was the same area that the presence and the fire of the Lord touched him in so that he could then be able to hear. It's very interesting. At this point, Isaiah had not heard God in this particular vision. He'd heard angels, heard the seraphim. He'd seen the glory, but he'd not heard that voice of the Lord until the fire touched him. And when the fire touched him, then all of a sudden his ears were open to be able to hear God in a way that he had not heard God before. When we're touched by the fire of the Lord, it opens our eyes and it opens our ears to begin to see him moving and begin to discern what he is doing among us and discern his voice in a way that we could not before. You know, 2020 was a little bit different year for everybody. 2020, I think all the prophets thought, man, this is, a, this is a cakewalk right here. 2020, year of vision, right? Every church had a series about 2020, year of 2020 vision. Every prophet was talking about this is a year of vision. Now, I want to tell you, nobody saw what was coming, but in the same way, it was a year of vision for those that chose to, to see. For those that did not choose to see, it was, a, it was a disaster. But for those who allowed God to open their eyes, it was a year of growth. Now, I want to tell you a little bit of what happened with us. And this is, I want to share what, what God did for us during this time. When uh, the pandemic was breaking out, right before, we had called a fast with all of our ministry. And we told everybody, we're all going to fast together. And so we all fasted and we were fasting and praying. We'd done a 40-day fast with most of the churches involved. and We were all fasting in some way. Some were doing a Daniel fast. Some were doing only liquids. But we were just pressing into the presence of the Lord. And that was before we'd heard about COVID or anything like that. So we were just doing a fast because we were just hungry for God. And the Lord told me, you're going to see revival this year, but it's going to look different than what you think. So I'm thinking, okay, revival. Stadiums filled. Huge meetings. Didn't turn out quite that way. But as we were praying, we'd ended this fast, and my daughter had just been born. I had a, we had a daughter born. Um, 
and we're, we're ending this fast, and all of a sudden, we're, we had our mission school going on, all of our activities, we have a re, really active missions base and churches all over the place, and we're going for it, and all of a sudden, we get a, um, you know, the news that the border's shutting down. I mean, the State Department starts calling all of our students that had registered, in, had registered with the State Department in Mexico, families calling, saying, you need to come home. Trump says they're going to shut the border, and you're not going to be able to ever come home again. Angry mothers and fathers wanting their, their, their mission school students to come home. We got a letter from the Mexican government, the state government, saying all churches have to shut down for 15 days. It ended up being for like nearly a year. But they said all churches have to shut down for 15 days. No meetings larger than one person was how the, wor- how the wording read. I read it, and I'm, I'm, I'm reading that letter, no meetings larger than one person. I handed it to one of our pastors. I'm like, does this say what I think it says? They're like, it does. No, meet, no one in the church, no more than one person in the church. I said, God, what do we do? You told us revival, fire, glory. This doesn't look like revival, fire, and glory. And I called, um, called my pastor in Texas. I, when I was in university, I went to his church for years. And he really became a spiritual father to me. And I called him, I said, what do, what, do I, what do you think I should do? Half of my team said, we need to shut everything down. And the other half of my team said, you don't need to shut anything down. We need to have bigger meetings. Church leadership, glory, it's fun. <laughs> and both sides were earnest about their opinions, and, bo- and both sides were earnestly wrong. And they were saying, you need to do this, and don't do this, and you should do this. And I said, what do I do? I called my friend, my pastor. Friend, I said, what do, what do I do? He said, son, you're, gonna, you're never going to have another shot like this again. Pay close attention to what the Holy Spirit says because he's about to do something through you if you'll discern what he's doing. I said, okay, Lord, what do I do? So I go, called back all my team. And I said, all right, this is what my decision is. We're going to fast for eight days. Now come off, we just finished a 40-day fast. And I was like, we're going to do it again. Apparently the first one didn't work. So we're going, to do, we're going to do eight days of fasting. We pressed in. We sought the Lord. We said, God, what do we do? Speak to us. What do we do? And he gave us a strategy. And he said, I want you to do this. He said, I want, you know, we, we, to obey what the government said, we shut down the big meetings, but we just opened up 35 house churches. We moved our meetings into 30. We already have house groups. So we, made, all right, we commissioned all of our life group leaders. Now you're leading a cell church. Until the pandemic ends, you're leading a cell church. We disperse into 35 different groups. And factories were being shut down, so people had no employment. Literally, people were starving in their houses. And we said, God, what do we do? He said, feed them. I said, with what? We don't have food. We don't have, you know, what, what do we do? I said, call this person. I called a certain person. And they said, I've got an 18-wheeler of beans. I'm just wondering where I can send it. Send it to me. We send it. We ended up giving 11 18-wheelers of food out through our churches. We fed thousands and thousands of people through the pandemic through our churches. We kept our meetings going, kept the mission school going. We asked her, we told our students, they said, listen, if you want to go home, you can go home. None of them wanted to. They said, we're here. Tell our parents, tell our families that if we get home, we get home. If we don't, we're missionaries to Mexico now. And so we began to just press into the presence of the Lord. We couldn't do the outreach, couldn't do a lot of the things that we would normally do, but we just pressed into the presence of God, seeking God, and God began to do things we'd never seen before. We began to see manifestations of the Holy Spirit in the middle, midst of that that I, I can honestly tell you I've never seen before. We had one um, 
One man from our ministry, he wasn't from our ministry, uh, he was from one of our U.S. churches, and he was kind of on the fringe. He had actually been a, 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 I think he was Army Ranger, retired, had a career in the military, career with the police force, and uh, with a career with Interpol as well, and he'd been there for many years, had survived two, two failed parachute jumps where the parachute failure, uh, or, or like where both parachutes failed. He had uh, survived it miraculously, but he had a broken back and chronic pain for many years and hip pain, knee pain, ev- the poor guy, everything hurt. That led him, along with the PTSD, to develop an alcohol addiction. and He'd become a, a drunk for many years, he, but he and his wife attended one of the churches and his wife loved the Lord, but she was, had about had it with him, didn't want anything to do with him. And she basically gave him an ultimatum. You either go to the Kaleo School of Missions or you go, because I can't handle you anymore. And so we don't typically, that's not our typical student <laughs> for our school, just FYI. Uh, if anyone's wanting to come to a Kaleo school, that is not typically, the, but that, this felt like one we needed to do. So he comes, and I found this out later, but he, he told me later, he was like, I really did not like you. He didn't like me. Uh, he said, he, he got there, and he was listening to me speak and everything, and he's like, if I've ever met a fraud. This guy is a fraud. And that was what he thought and what he called home and told his wife and stuff. And I didn't know that at the time. But I knew that this, I'm like, this guy is just angry, just a mad guy. And one of these days, however, um, everyone comes down and goes to class and everything like that. But he didn't wake up. And they went to try to wake him up. He was in his bed. And they couldn't wake him up. And they called Don, who you're going to hear uh, share tomorrow called Don up, and Don tried to wake him, and we have another doctor on our staff, and she tried to wake him. They took his vitals, and he was alive, but he was, he was out of it, completely gone. And the Lord speaks to Don and said, he's with me. Of course, naturally, Don's like, do we get him back? Do we have to call his wife? What does this mean exactly? But they, uh, one of the, the doctor, uh, her name's Norma, she stayed with, stayed with him and sat by the bed and just make sure he was he was he was okay and a few hours later he wakes up and he comes he's just beaming he comes walking into class just absolutely glowing and he said i have to tell you what happened he begins to share what happened that for the last nine hours he had been in heaven with jesus he didn't know exactly for sure on time but he knew that he he felt like that he had he was he knew that he was out of his body because he could see his body behind him and that he had walked with jesus for nine hours and he said that Jesus took him to every horrible, painful memory from his time in the military, police force, took him back to everything he'd ever seen, everything he'd ever done, and healed him of those things. Jesus himself walked him through inner healing. And, and the fire of God just healed him. And at the end, Jesus says, now I'm going to send you back. And his name is Howard. He said, I don't want to go back. It's too, there's too much pain. I don't want to go back. And Jesus said, no, I'm going to send you back. And then before he sent him back, and this is the, this is the, this is the part that really touched me, he told me that Jesus said to him, tell Josh he's not thinking big enough. And I, I think that was one of the, most, the purest prophetic words I've ever had <laughs> because it was told by Jesus to a man who did not like me. <laughs> who told me as he's giving me this word, he's like, Jesus says, you're not thinking big enough. 
And he said, and by the way, I did not like you. And he tells me all these things. But he said, now I do. Because if Jesus likes you, I like you too. <laughs> you know, that man is, is now on, working with us as staff in our mission school. He and his wife, God restored their relationship, completely restored them. Now they're, they're, they're running the business school. We have a school of business for training uh, missionaries how to start their own businesses. Uh, they're training people in business, teach, and they're helping with the school of missions, the staff, and helping with their school in Tennessee. So God took a man and literally took him out of his body for nine hours to heal his heart and to heal his, his, his soul. So he comes down and he begins to share this. And there's another girl in the same school who was also just completely, just emotionally dead. Wanted, you know, complete, had walls up, trusted no one. She'd been told by her church, she felt that she was supposed to come to our school, but her church told her, because they weren't in favor of it, they said they were, it was a cult, her church was a cult, but they said, you're going to lose your salvation at this Kaleo school, because they're, they're charismaticos, they're like charismatics, and we don't believe in that, and because we're not in favor of this, you're probably going to lose your salvation there. So she comes in to do this school, and she's like... We didn't know, none of that made it into the application. But <laughs> just want to let you know that, you know. So she comes in and she's like, has a wall up, everybody, trust no one, like no one. After Howard shares his story, God is impacting her, her heart and God's touching her heart. And she just begins to pray and say, God, I don't know how to love. I don't know how to love and I don't know how to receive love. And the Holy Spirit speaks to her and he says, go downstairs and have them pray for you. So she goes and she just opens up her heart and she just begins to confess and says, I don't love any of you. I don't know. And I know I should, but I don't know how. And I don't know how to be loved by anyone. And a horrible story, been abused, had a divorce, got everything that could go wrong and gone wrong in her life. And as the people, the women got around her and ministered to her and prayed for her, all of a sudden, her, she had her hands like this, and her hands filled up with oil. And the, the women, one of them grabbed a, a towel. Actually, the doctor, uh, she was there. She grabbed a towel and, and wiped it away because they thought it was sweat or that, like, water. <laughs> she had sweat or whatever in her hands. And they wiped it away, and as soon as they wiped it away, it appeared again. And this time, it was more, there was more of it, and it was dripping down her arms and dripping and falling down on the floor. And there was oil everywhere. And the, and the glory of the Lord literally was manifesting as oil on this girl's hands, and God healed her. God completely healed her of, her, of a stony heart. Now she married one of, the, one of the young men at the mission school. Now they're serving in Reynosa with us. Went from thinking that we were a cult to now she's as wild as, she's wilder than any of us. These are the sort of things that will happen if you press into the presence of the Lord. If you begin to discern, and, I, and, I, at the, and then as I was that same year, we were, all these miracles were beginning to happen, and we were feeding thousands of people. But they were still, we were having a lot of challenges with the government. And then a hurricane comes. We got hit with this, this horrible hurricane, worst, the Cat 5 hurricane. And Reynosa is basically a giant bowl. Uh, it's, a, it's just a big flat land. Everything is built. Most of the houses are built. About half the city is built under sea level. And so whenever you have a hurricane or anything like that, 
it floods everything. And so when the hurricane happened, we immediately, of course, we rallied our churches. We took out food. We were giving food to people. We show up in one area and uh, to go take food, and, and it had been flooded, and we couldn't get in because it, it was flooded. The military stopped us, and they said, you can't go in. It's flooded. And I said, well, well, we'll help you. We'll give you food. And they said, well, we can't go in either because we don't have boats. It was the military, the police, or the police and the fire department. None of them had a boat between them. And I'm like, y'all don't have boats? And they're like, no, we're trying to get a boat. We're trying to borrow one from somebody. And I said, if I get a boat, will you help me? And they said, yeah. I talked to their commandante, their commander, and he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell the white guy if he gets a boat, I'll help him. And so <laughs> they were kind of laughing at me. They thought it was kind of ridiculous. So I called a friend of mine who um, used to be in the import-export business. He's a believer now. <laughs> But uh, he, was in a, <laughs> he was in a profession that you needed boats in. We'll just leave it that way. He loves the Lord. He's out of that profession now. Um, he serves God. He's a pastor now. But I call him and I say, hey, do you have a boat? I'm trying to get, can I borrow a boat from you? He said, yeah, pero nombre, no sé si funciona. He's like, man, I don't know if it works or not. Haven't put that thing in the water in years. I said, I'll take it take this huge speedboat out there and into the water. and We get out there, we're going along, and I run into the same soldiers. I'm like, all right, I'm here, let's go. They look at their commander, and he's like, go. <laughs> so the press is there, everybody's there, and they're like wondering, who is this white guy surrounded by military, and we're out there going along in a boat, going to help people and rescue people. We get the boat out there, we start helping families, we're taking food, and all of a sudden we realize there is a slight problem in our plan. The boat has a hole. <laughs> and the boat is going down under the water. Tarantulas are jumping out of the boat. Lizards and stuff that had lived in that boat for many years were jumping out in every direction. And the boat is going underwater and we ended up having to, to pull the boat back into shore and we're sent up to sewer water up to my neck. And I come home and I, my wife looks at me and she's like, what happened to you? And I said, the boat sank. And I said, but we need a boat. We're going to pray. Lord, give us a boat. We need a boat. We need a boat. And I began to pray. That night, the Lord spoke to me. He said, he said go and go to this place, and you're going to buy a boat, and you're going to come, and you're going to rescue people tomorrow. So I said, I told my wife, I said, I said, I said Amor, um, honey, we need, to, we need to buy a boat. She said, we don't have any money for a boat. We used all our money for food and other things and, and stuff for the ministry. I said, I know, but we need to buy a boat. Within an hour, the money came in for the boat. As I'm driving to go get, get a boat, I'd called somebody, and they had one used boat for sale. So I get it back, and as I'm going, I, real, I realize I don't know how to drive a boat. <laughs> I've never driven a boat. No one on my staff, we, we live in the desert. None of us have driven a boat before. We're getting the boat down here. And I'm, I know this sounds like a funny story, but I'm going somewhere with, with this, so <laughs> stick with me. So we get down there, and, and, and we put the boat in the water, learned how to drive the I'm, I can drive a boat really good now. I learned on the flooded streets in Reynosa, dodging electrical cables and things like that. But we were able to help people and rescue people and see God move in incredible ways. We were get, able to get into places that the military had in the, the military had not been able to get into for three or four days to help elderly people that were stranded in small villages and stuff that had no food, um, no water uh, for days because the only routes into their, their communities were, were closed. And in the middle of that, we were preaching the gospel. And in some of the villages we would go into, the cartel would come and meet us because they were completely 
just completely puzzled because here comes, at that point, my beard was down to here. Here comes this white Amish guy, they thought, uh, in, you know, in a beer, uh, with, a, with a big boat full of, full of food and everything. We ended up preaching to them. Many of them gave their hearts to the Lord. This one lady who was acting as our guide in some of the, the villages, the ranchitos, she goes with us, and we didn't know it, but she was actually one of the, um, she was one of the most well-known uh, worshipers of the Santa Muerte, the saint of death in that region. She had shrines, and she was, I think, in the order of their, their satanic sort of order they had. And she ended up being our guide because she knew that area. And we showed up in that area, and she was the one that volunteered, covered in tattoos. But she's going with us in, into these villages. And at one point, we're, I'm preaching, and I look over there, and there are just tears streaming down her eyes. And she gives her heart to Christ there alongside the cartel and all the other people on the bridge. are standing in water up to here, and she gives her life to the Lord. And a few days later, we open up a, we open up a house church in that same community. And she stands up to, uh, to testify. She said, you all know me, right? She said, and you know that I've worshipped the saint of death all my life, and I was dedicated to the saints like the Grim Reaper. It's a thing where it's a part of Mexican culture uh, where they worship death, and they appease death so that death will not take them. So they give sacrifices to death. So she'd been dedicated to that saint from the time she was a baby. And so she um, stands up and she says, you know who I am. You know what I, how my life has been. She said, but I met Jesus, and I came home, and I took all of my shrines, all of my statues, and all my idols, and I burned them yesterday. And it's word spread like wildfire. And we planted a number of churches. I think we planted, during the pandemic, about 10 churches, 10 new churches that were planted uh, in, in several different countries. But where I'm say- when I'm saying this is for this reason, I almost missed it. I almost missed it. I was this close from missing some of the things that God desired for us to do. And here's my point in this. We need to learn to allow the Lord to open our eyes to see beyond what we can see, to see beyond the crisis, and to see every crisis that happens in our community, every crisis that happens in our lives, even the crises that are happening, crises that are happening in our own in our countries, to see those as an opportunity for His glory to be manifested, and simply to say, like Isaiah, "Here am I, send me." Send me into the storm. Send me into the chaos. Even though I have no idea what I'm doing, Lord, I know if you go with me, I'll do it. So many things we have the opportunity to do. We always laugh with my, my wife and my team. I'm like, we have, sometimes we step into something where we're like, we have no idea what we're going to do. But we take a step of faith and somehow or another, we don't sink. That's what it means to live by faith. That's what it means to walk by faith. And I feel like the Holy Spirit wants to invite you to that. But the first step of walking by faith is allowing him to open up your eyes. Because if you're you're blinded to what it is that he's doing in the midst of your daily life, in the midst of of the, the chaos oftentimes of the world around you, if you miss what he's doing, you miss what your part can be. Does that make sense? There was one time I was in Mozambique. What time is it? All right. It's late. <laughs> Sorry. Mexico, we have long services. I'm trying to stick to I'll tell the Mozambique story tomorrow. But I feel like the Lord wants 
Uh, sorry? All right, I'll tell this Mozambique story tonight. <laughs> I was in Mozambique one time, and we were doing this crusade uh, with Heidi Baker's ministry in, uh, in a, an area that was a tribe called the Makandi that had very few churches. So we were going and outreaching this village that, where there was no, no churches. And uh, we show up, and it was one of those outreaches where nothing is going right. One of those days where everything that seemed to be going, could go wrong was going wrong. Generator wouldn't work. Two flat tires. There were problems. There were issues with the translator. There were issues with this. We got lost on the way. All these different things. And we got flat tires. Generators are broken. So we get there. We're supposed to show the Jesus film. And so we're trying to show the Jesus film, and the generator wouldn't work. And so everybody, like good charismatics that we are, we're all around the generator, laying hands, casting the demons of the gen- that are in the generator out. And I mean, literally, that's what people are doing. In the name of Jesus, demon, come out. And I'm standing, I'm, I'm right in there with them. I'll cast out a demon. I don't have a problem with that. The Holy Spirit speaks to me and he says, this is not a demon. This is me. Well, that'll throw your theology a little bit. And I said, well, God, what are you doing? And he said, go get the generator and the tires fixed tomorrow and you'll see. So at that point, I just kind of, I retired from the generator deliverance. And (laughs) I went to bed and the next morning I volunteered and I took the generator and I took the tires to go get repaired. So I show up in in another town nearby and everybody that I had left behind was like very, they were very disappointed because they weren't able to show the Jesus home. Nothing was working like it should. And I go to this town drop off the you know, generator to get repaired in one place, go to uh, fix the tire in another. This man w- comes walking up to me, speaking in the tribal language in, in, in Makua or Makandi. And I didn't speak that language. So I don't speak your language, sorry. Switches to Portuguese. I answer him in Spanish. And then he switches to Spanish, starts speaking to me in Spanish. Well, that had my curiosity. And he tries to get a cigarette. He said, I want, I want a cigarette. Give me cigarettes. And I said, well, I don't smoke and those things will kill you. But I want to give you something that will save you. And that's Jesus. So I shared the gospel with this Muslim man, and the man looked at him, he was like, I, this is why I'm here, I want this message, I want to know Jesus. Gave his heart to Jesus, prayed for him, then he grabbed my hand, my arm, and he said, you need to come share this with my family. So I left the tire to get repaired there, go to his family, he gathers all of his family together, his little 80-something-year-old mother's there, all of his Muslim family, they gather him all together, and I preach to them in, in Spanish, he interprets into their local language, and all of them give their hearts to, to the Lord. The, the mother says, she says this, she said, I have been waiting my whole life to hear this story of Jesus. Now I know that if I die tomorrow, I know I can die in peace. It was beautiful. And he grabs a hold of my arms and he says, we need a church like this here. He said, I own all this land. I'm giving it to you. Build a church. And so long story short, in the time it took to get the generator repaired and the tire fixed, we had about a congregation of about 40 or 50 people and land to build on. <laughs> All of it because, and, and yet, and well, I will say this, we almost missed it because we thought it was a demon when we, and we didn't discern what Jesus was doing in our midst. One of the things that's, I believe, most important for us in this day and age is that we get touched by his fire to the point that we can discern what it is that he's really doing. He wants to open our eyes. He wants to open our ears. I'm going to close with this. I was in a town in, in Mexico called Miguel Aliman, 
in this little town, uh, a man comes walking up to me. And it, I want to tell you, it was, not in our, it was not in the greatest moment of our life in ministry. It was in the first couple of years where everything was difficult, everything was hard. And we'd been sent to Mexico for revival, and we weren't seeing a lot of revival. We were seeing a lot of attack of, attack of the devil. And in this little town, this man comes walking up to me in, in a crusade we were doing. And he says, he says, Pastor, pray for me. I'm blind in one eye. And the other eye was mostly blind. So I laid hand on his eye and I heard the Holy Spirit say, which is easier for me to do? To heal the eye of a blind man, to heal the eye of a blind man, or to heal the eyes of a blinded nation, blinded by witchcraft and idolatry? And I said, Lord, I guess for you it's the same. You can heal a blind eye physically or you can bring revival and open everyone's eyes. For you it's the same, isn't it? And he said, you will see both in this nation. Take my hand off his eye. And the man smiles. He says, Ay, yo puedo ver, yo puedo ver. I can see, I can see. Every one of the people, the people in the congregation are shouting and screaming, yay, praise God. And he grabs my arm and he says, can you pray for my wife? She's deaf. And I knew God was doing something. I said, yeah, bring her to me. So he brings his, his wife and little old lady, she was deaf in one ear and the other ear could barely hear. You had to yell at her to be able to, for her to hear you at all. And I lay hands on her ear and I hear the Holy Spirit say, which is easier for me to do? To hear, heal the ear of a deaf woman or to heal the ears of a deafened nation, deafened by idolatry and witchcraft? And I wept and wept and I said, Lord, for you it is the same. He said, you'll see both in this nation. And I took my hand off her ear, snapped my finger to see if she could hear. And she smiles, a big toothless grin, and says, I can hear, I can hear. Everyone was shouting. And I realized something in that moment. Sometimes we categorize miracles. We think there's big ones, middle, middle, medium ones, and small ones. But the reality is this. It's the same for him. What needs to change is not his power. He has enough power when he shows up in a room to heal every blind eye in the place or to bring a nationwide, worldwide revival just like that. What needs to change? Us. Our ability, our, our perspective has to change. We have to begin to see him as he really is and to see beyond that which we can see. To be able to see physical healing, but also to see God break forth with, with, with a revival, which brings a spiritual awakening. That's what we need to press in for. But in order to be used by God for that, we have to allow God to open our eyes and open our ears. Isaiah had to have that happen with him first. The Lord had to open his ears to hear. And then he heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall we send? Who will go for us? I believe he heard a conversation between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit because he heard the heart of God that he could not hear before because his ears were deafened. God wants to open our ears and then he sends them out with a message and he says, you tell the people this, they're deaf and they're blind. It wasn't a popular message. It wasn't an easy message. They killed him actually eventually for that message. But that was the message he was to take. They are deaf and they are blind. But if they would open their eyes, if they would come to me, then I could heal them. See, this is what he does in our lives. 
As we come close to the fire, come close to the glory, he wants to open our ears and open our eyes so we can discern and see what it is he's doing in our midst. And then from there, he can use us to open the eyes and the ears of the people around us that are deaf and dumb for whatever idols in the culture that you're in, whatever idols that they may hold dear to their hearts. God wants to open our eyes. He wants to open our ears. I want to invite you just to stand to your feet. And if you just feel that God is asking you to step closer to him, to surrender to him, I just want to invite you. You can stand or you can kneel or you whatever you can want to do. But lay your hands on your eyes. And I want you just to say this with me. Say, Lord God, open my eyes to discern what you are doing in our midst. Help me to see beyond the chaos of our world and to see your hand, to see you move. Open my eyes that I can see. And lay your hands on your ears. And say, Lord, open my ears so that I can truly hear your voice, so that I can hear your word, that I can hear you call. Lord, open my ears. Touch me with your fire. Touch me with your glory. Right now, in Jesus' name. And just raise up your hand and put one hand over your heart just like you're volunteering. And if you're willing to say, pray a dangerous prayer, and it is a dangerous prayer, pray a dangerous prayer and say, Lord, here am I. Send me. Here am I. Send me. And I feel like tonight there are some people that need to come and answer answer this altar call and just to come and kneel down before the Lord And for everyone, it will look different. For every person, it will look different. You're not necessarily going to be called to Mexico or to Congo or to other places. Some of you may. I hope some of you will. But there's a willingness that we need to have of heart that says, Lord, here am I, send me. A willingness to kneel down before our king and say, God, send us to the places of darkness. Send us to the people that are broken. Send us to the ones that are hurting. Send us to the ones who don't know you. Let us walk into the storm, even if we don't know what we're doing. If you're willing to say that to him, I just invite you just to come to the front and kneel down before him and come and let his fire touch you. Come and allow his glory to touch you in a new way. Lord, we cry out for more of you right now.
I believe God is igniting calling right now. I believe that he's calling some people. Hey, he's calling you to step into dark places. I believe some of you are being called into missions. I believe God, hey, is sending an awakening, an awakening of your heart for the nations, an awakening of his heart for broken people, for hurting people, both missions in this country and outside, to send you, to send you, and as you're willing to say, send me, here am I, you will see the power of God back you in ways you've never imagined. So am I Set up. 